Hello, everybody, and welcome to Toronto Rock Total Access. I am Mike Hancock, along with the co-host, Challen Rogers. And as we enter this week, we kind of, we're kind of turning the page here a little bit, Chow. We, as the Toronto Rock, we suffered the first loss of the season to the Buffalo Bandits, 16-14 to on Saturday night. We'll, uh, we'll definitely talk about that game here, probably right off the top. Um, obviously disappointing to... See the winning streak end, a franchise best 5-0 and start that uh, is no more. But those five wins are in the bank. They are in the bank. 5-1. and one. Still a very good start to this season. But, you know, the, the Buffalo Bandits are that team for the Toronto Rock, right? Every Everybody always has a team that uh, kind of gives them a little more trouble than, than others. And over this last, uh, you know, couple of years... The Buffalo Bandits are, you know, there's no sugarcoating it anymore. I don't think no. they're that team, right? That uh, for whatever reason, give this Toronto Rock team some trouble. They do. Um, yeah, they certainly do. Um, you know, it's never easy losing, and then uh, never easy losing to the Buffalo Bandits. Um, you know, it, I feel like immediately after the game, you're trying to find answers of why. Uh, you know, it didn't go the way um, you wanted it to, but you know, you gotta wait a couple of days, reflect, kind of rewatch the game. Um, you know, learn from your mistakes, and like you said, move on, turn the page. We have a big home and home with Calgary coming up, and um, you know, we have to get back on track. What are some of the things you learned from this game? Because you know, to set it up a little bit more, obviously. There's no excuses here, right? But I think let's turn the page back to last April. A very one-sided game where the Toronto Rock beat the Buffalo Bandits. But Buffalo were missing a couple of key guys in Dayoga Nanticoke and Chase Razor. I believe both didn't play that game. They did play a couple weeks later. The Bandits got the better of the Rock at the end of the regular season and in the playoffs. You know, now I felt like the tide, the tables were kind of turned potentially, and this could be a positive where I'm going here. <clears throat> the Rock were obviously missing several key guys, and it was Tom Schreiber's first game back. So I think there is perhaps a bit of silver lining in that loss on Saturday night. While a loss is a loss, um, it kind of feels the same as like you know the way that that April game was last year, where it was. I think everybody felt like, hey, we're set up to, to beat these guys now. And it was, I think, a one-goal loss a couple weeks later in Buffalo, a tough one, uh, before we got into the playoffs there. But now this kind of feels like, you know what? We were in that game. We had that lead, you know, 10-9. Didn't pull it out in the end. You know, kind of a, a, bad, uh, a bad rub there, I guess you could say, in the fourth quarter with how much time ended up having to play shorthanded and didn't get to play offense because of a major penalty. Um, There's just some things that happened in that game that I think it's, it's definitely not a panic situation whatsoever. And you think the guys that were not in the lineup, you know, you think how hard everybody battled in that game to begin with on Saturday night. And then, you know, to be able to add some other guys back in the lineup, hopefully, you know, the next time these two teams tangle in March, um, 
that's got to be maybe that little bit of silver lining. Maybe. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. Probably not. <laughs> but that's just, you know, some of the things you start to dissect because, you know, me personally, I'm sitting there too thinking, ah, like it, it was it was going our way. You know what I mean? The guy, you guys battled back. You guys came out in that third quarter like this was not happening in Rock City. You guys played that way. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think we we really had a choice at that time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some positives we can take away from the game, but, um, you know, we don't play to take away some positives. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you can chalk that up as a sixth game in, in our season. And, you know, what week is it? Ten? Week ten, we played six games. So, um, yeah, I mean, our work ethic wasn't wasn't the issue. It was just kind of some other things that we talked about pregame and, and uh, you know, uh, at practice yesterday um, that, you know, we we do a little bit differently and we come out on a on a different end. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't play them for a bit, so um, we'll kind of rekindle this fact that when that comes up, but on to Calgary. <laughs> you love that. Was answer. that your cue that you yeah. don't want to talk about the Buffalo game anymore? No, no, no. Just, you know, every every answer is going to end, and we're moving on. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? Let's go back to it one more time. It's better. Let's I pick that scab one more time. I could have been like uh, Phil Belichick and just gone, and we're moving on to Calgary. Yeah, we got a big game coming up this week. We're preparing, preparing for Calgary. For Calgary. Yeah. Preparing for Calgary. <laughs> um, there were some significant swings in that game. In the second quarter, I believe, right, when Dan Lindner scored, Mark Matthews makes that great pass, but then kind of follows through into the crease. Goal gets called back, and uh, and look who's at the door, Nick Rose, just kind of poking in here while we're recording the podcast. But, Howie. But Mark Matthews goes through the crease there. That goal gets waved off, and then Buffalo immediately comes down the other way and scores. You know, that was, you know, what would have been a – it was a two-goal into a – four goal kind of deficit, right? There was a big swing there. Um, and then obviously the penalty, like we talked about at the start of the uh, fourth quarter there with having to, you know, play defense. And like Matt Sawyer said in his post-game comments about the energy that the defense expends as well, playing, you know, short man for that amount of time and that the offense isn't really on the on the floor in any kind of a regular, regular set and not being able to, you know, really push the play or – or play your game there for an extended period. So I just thought there was a lot of key things, obviously, that went uh, just kind of the wrong way. Some breaks that went the wrong way, and they were, unfortunately for Rock City, they were the better team on that night. They were. And we're now preparing for Calgary. And we are preparing for Calgary. <laughs> the focus for this team, because of the divisional alignment for the last couple of years, has, has been on beating Buffalo. They're the team that is, has been quote unquote in the way, and you know this law, this past loss on Saturday night, it gets you, it gets I'm sure a lot of people thinking, you know, how how is this? How are the Rock going to get over this hump? How are the Rock going to get over this hump? But you know, has has it ever you know crossed your mind at this point, or have you given any thought at all to you know just the fact that you very well may not have to cross paths with them at all with the new, you know, divisional alignment. It's not necessarily a given that you guys would meet up with Buffalo in the playoffs as it has been, you know, the last few years. Yeah. Um, you know, first we have to make the playoffs. 
Um, you know, and then obviously that's why I said right off the top, those five wins are in the bank. I know it's it's certainly They're nice to bank. have, and and the start that we've had has been great. Um, you know, first third of the season too, five and one. Second third of the season, um, it uh, just kind of resets us. You know, new focus. There's a lot that we can take away that were positive from kind of those first six games, and um, there's some things we obviously need to work on and, and get better at, but. We have another 12 games to go. Um, so, you know, big math guy here. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're just trying to get better with every time we get together. And I know I've said that multiple times, but it's the truth. Like, I think we came off a great practice last night. And, and you know, that kind of helps, um, you know, build confidence, obviously, and where you might be kind of hurting a little bit after a loss. So. Um, you know, we prepare the exact same. I mean, the coaches do an amazing job at helping us get there. And, and um, yeah, just uh, we're excited, excited for the next one. So speaking of big math guy. This is, I screwed this up, I think. No, I think you're, you're fine. Okay. It just <laughs> it sounded weird. Now it's better. There you go. People yeah. are going to know now. Um what do you think the magic number is to get into the playoffs in terms of wins? Uh, what do you think it's going to be? Ten. Nine or ten. Yeah. I, I'm curious about the way it's going to fall out just because I, I think, you know, uh, I, right now I sit there and go, yeah, ten I think is the safe number for everybody. No sweat if you get to ten, you should be in. Um Nine is where things probably you get into a tiebreaker. I feel like there's going to be a couple teams tied at nine and nine or something like that right at the bottom. But that was just when I started thinking about, again, the whole five wins in the bank already. Um, I was having this discussion with somebody. It was like, you know, I, you know, we have 12 games. Like you said, I think we're only five wins away from getting into the playoffs. And, and once you get in there, because again, going back to this stigma almost it seems to exist around the buffalo bandits that it's like you may not play it doesn't like this game while it matters that you don't want to lose a game a loss is a loss and everything it doesn't it doesn't weigh any larger than a loss to anyone even though it feels like <laughs> different yes but that's part of the fun of all this right chow yeah that's why i play sports rivalries some wins feel better than others. Some losses feel worse than others. Yeah, that's why we do it. That's why we do it. <laughs> All right. Um, we didn't really talk about – I know this is going to be off topic and we're kind of going to go out of order on a couple things here, but did we – we never really got into what you're watching last week at all, did we? We kind of got ran out of here at the end of the show. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. I've tried to watch as much as possible since Since then, last, just to get yeah. teed up for this? Yep. And – <laughs> what you watching, Chow? Uh, I don't know if I've brought this up before. Fool me once. Did I bring that up last time? It would have been the very last time we talked about what we were watching. Remind me what this is about because I feel like I almost started to watch this recently. Uh, it's Is it multiple seasons? No. No. It's one. Harlan Cor- Corbin? Co- Coben? Corbin? He has a lot on Netflix. Like if you kind of yeah. like those maze, like – mental mazes you know like yeah. trying to figure out who did this and that it's it's one of those okay i kind of like it um some of his stuff though like there's just random characters thrown in there with just no background you know just 
hey, here's a new character, and then you think it's them, and they're just irrelevant. But Sorry, what's it about? It's about this. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, I was giving you the background on this guy, yeah, okay, this sorry. writer. Um, yep. But it's about this uh, former um, Air Force person, UK. Military of some kind? Military. Okay. Um, UK military. And then uh, she comes home. And her husband gets murdered, but then there's kind of, did he get murdered or did he not get murdered? And it's kind of one of those. And hmm. yeah, it's interesting. That is kind of along the lines of the, have you watched, I think it's called American Nightmare? Uh, two episodes. So I have one more. <sighs> it's good. Eh? Yeah, it is pretty good. It's good. Yeah. A real life, true crime, not crime, crime show. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's Gone it's a crazy, crazy story. Yeah, and it's just it's um, you know not recommended for all audience. We, we can <laughs> say that for sure. Um, definitely not for the youth. Any youth listening to this podcast, we do not recommend watching that program necessarily. But uh, it's it's a wild one um, for Good sure. Job. The other thing I watched, sorry, do you want to still go on about your... No, no, no I was <laughs> going to say another thing I watched. I watched last night. Movie? Uh, kind of. I watched a movie. It was a documentary movie. Kevin Hart, Lift. Good. Pretty good. Nice. Has a real Ocean's Eleven vibe to it. Has a crew. Crew? Yeah. To right. uh, pull off a heist, a oh. lift. Yep. Right? It's It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Kevin Hart's good. I like Kevin. Yeah. He's good. He's good in the movies. Yeah. He's good in the movies. He's he a funny guy well, too. Yeah. He's a he's a good movie guy. Along those lines of heist, I watched Berlin. Lift. Oh, just heist in general. Yeah, because you okay. said yeah, I did your movie heist, Lift yeah. is a heist right. movie. Yep. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, but Berlin also, is a heist movie Ber- as well? It's a show. It's okay. uh, based off Berlin, who's in Money Heist, if you watch Money Heist. I didn't. No, so it always came show. up as recommended, recommended, but I, I didn't. Like, yeah. And if you watched it, you would like it. Really? But Berlin, uh, watch that. And then um, the uh, the making of uh, We Are the People, We Are the World. You know, and... Uh, no, the big concert. The when they make the song. We oh, the just the one. actual the song. We okay. The chill really? Band. They made a documentary on that? Yeah, it's a movie. Hour and a half. It's uh yeah, huh. a lot of cool things because they only did it in one night. Yeah. After after the uh, music awards, so it went like all night into the morning. They were done at like eight in the morning. But like they the week before, they didn't even really have a song. Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson wrote it. Fun facts, if you didn't know that. Uh, that makes sense, especially for that era, because those two were huge icons at that time. But um, that is really interesting. So the people that were in the song weren't necessarily cast in the song. It's just they happened to be at the award show. Was it after the Grammys? Well, uh, AMAs, maybe? American Music Awards? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically, hey, 
whoever's here, stick around. We're gonna write this song. Well, not really. It kind of. It kind of would have been a great. (laughs) But that, like, that's why they scheduling wise, because all these people, like Bruce Springsteen, was in Buffalo the night before and had to fly, obviously, for the awards. And so it was kind of like they're all here. We need to do it right now because it's the only time we'll yeah be able to do it. Um, But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Were there any like scuffles where people were like, "I'm done"? Yeah, one guy, they, one guy just walked off. After the show, like, yeah. that would have been. It was like th- I'm, late, late yeah. into the night, right? Yeah, at eight and eight to the morning, eight in the morning. That's and they, they have they all legit behind the scenes footage of all this stuff. Yeah, because wow. then like it's so like yeah, there's a guy who's just like I'm done with this because I think uh, who was it? I forget. Or, or it wasn't a name that like. That popped, popped out off at me. To you? No, at might have been a one-hit wonder guy. All right, maybe, maybe, or uh, just somebody you don't know. Fair. Um, Stevie Wonder, I guess, wanted to throw in like uh, some Swahili, maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, like this little part in the song, and then that's where he was just like, "I'm out. Like, we can't be doing this. It's like three in the morning, and we're we're not even done." He's just like you. Just you see him just walk off, and he's gone. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Okay. And then there's like, yeah, Bob Dylan's in it, and he's he doesn't really know how to sing it. It's like, his style is so different yeah. from the song. And oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's cool. Like, uh, it's just cool, cool to see kind of that background stuff with absolute stars from back then. Yeah, I mean that was, uh, <clears throat> I mean that was from I guess my childhood, like when that was all happening and before you were born. Yep. Correct. Yep. <laughs> yes. I was there for the remake they did in like early 2000s. Who did they do with who? Like all the stars of the present day stuff. Yeah. I don't even remember that happening. It was like Justin Bieber. I'm going to look it up. Um, yeah. It was, it was maybe for Haiti or something. I remember down. We can throw that into the podcast. Yeah. We are the world for Haiti. 2010. No way. Oh, it's not even that long ago. Okay. Although well, my not what, that 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was, I was having a conversation with somebody <laughs> last week. I was like, Oh yeah, I think we did that like in the 2015, 2016 season, somewhere around there. Like not that long ago. And then I stopped and I was like, that was eight or nine years ago. Michael, that was a while ago. That's why they did it. We are the world 25. So 25 years after. Wow. So 1985, yeah. So the new one had like Celine Dion, Bieber, Jamie Foxx, Mary J. Blige, Miley Cyrus, um, Wyclef Jean, Akon. That's nuts. Well, I right. honestly, I'm busy worrying about winning the Founders Cup in 2010 with the Bulldogs. Yeah, missed the remake of We Are the World. Huh. Wild. Gotta give it a listen now. Uh, been watching anything else? Anything else, or have we come to the end of the uh, road on that one? Um, I'm still looking at. I had a lot of studs in this. Snoop. Snoop a loop was. Okay, let's uh, let's again diverge a little bit because. Uh, Listener mailbag, we are going to take a pause this week from giving away a prize. Oh. Because we talked about that. Yep. Um, 
We had several good questions come in from our good friend Jeremy O, who, like, he, he basically gave us some topics <laughs> for the podcast almost <laughs> on some of these things because it's uh, it it's like there's some really really good stuff in here. So we're gonna maybe dive into a couple of things just because um, like. It's just good stuff. Like it really is just good stuff. So, um, I do like this one. What was it? Okay, then here, let's divert for a second. Let's not get into. It. Let's talk football then, for real quick, for a couple of seconds here. Your okay. thoughts on the AFC and NFC championship games from this past weekend? Um, let's start with the first one. Okay, uh, just because that was the first one. <laughs> um. <laughs> the first one is usually the first one. Which yeah. one is that? AFC? No, NFC. Yeah. That's one thing about football that I am clueless on. Like, you could tell me one team, and I could probably fill out that division, but I couldn't be like, oh, that's NFC North yeah, or yeah. something like that. But sorry. Um, first game, um, just the Chiefs being the Chiefs. And in big moments, how do you not just bet on Kelsey? doing anything really touchdown uh receptions yards the guy's just a beast um and then yeah tough to see the ravens kind of go like that i know a lot of people weren't expecting that um and just just chalk that up to spagnola i listen to a lot of like fantasy football radio yeah and that's what they're saying so i'm gonna say that on here it's just good defensive mind put Lamar in tough spots to make decisions. And you can kind of see it, like, watching that as the game went on. He's dropping back, kind of just looking for lanes to run, just not worried about throwing the ball. But Chiefs doing Chiefs things. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. I mean, when you talk about Kelsey, he was he was catching everything. And uh, it, I, it, it was weird because, I mean – with the final score, it wasn't exactly – it wasn't a high-scoring game. There weren't a lot of, like – but um, it just seemed like Baltimore could have, would have, should have a bunch of times in that game. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't materialize. Yep. So that's where I kind of weigh. I'm like, was, was Mahomes – like, Kelsey had a great day and all that kind of stuff, but how much – like, because that's what I hear a lot of people talking about too. They're like, you know, this Kansas City team this year hasn't been very good, and yet they're still going to the Super Bowl. And everybody's saying they're probably going to be better next year. All the all, all this talk already about they're going to be better next year. Well, like they yeah. just will. Like they don't have any really receivers, kind of like besides Rice. But I mean, I think their defense is really good, and and they're just getting by because Mahomes is really good and Kelsey's really good and. Rice is starting to figure it out, and Pacheco is just a beast. He runs. No one's more excited to score a touch, like frantically excited, than Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. He's a guy you want on your fantasy team. I just think whenever he gets up after even just like a big game, like a big play, not necessarily was a touchdown, but he gets up with his exuberance, and I always think he is going to injure someone else. As he gets up. With his, yeah, yeah. that he's just going to run into them I, and yeah. just break them. And yeah, he's. I agree. He's, yeah. Okay. On to. Uh... Sad. Sad. 
was a sad Were you pulling for the Lions? I was pulling for the Lions. How could you not? I like Dan Campbell, what he's kind of done. I yeah. have a lot of the Lions But it was when teams. he didn't kick that field goal, and yeah. they literally just panned to him on the bench and his look. Like, it was that almost like over – like he almost was like looking back over his shoulder and walking away in the other direction. And I'm like – that's the shot. Like right there, I was like, if this game goes sideways yeah, and he went for it, they didn't kick the field goal, blah, blah, blah. I, I literally, I was like, in my head, I'm like, that is the shot. That is this piece of video that is going to live alongside it. It was so perfect that they got that on the broadcast. I thought it was it was magic. And then it turns out that just like nothing in the second half from the Lions. Yeah. Like nothing. They beat themselves, I think, in the second half. Like, obviously, they're always aggressive, so it's like he, he, that's Live why they're the there. Sword, and, die yeah. by the sword, I know. But then it's but in the first half when they kicked the field goal, I was like, wow, like he's they're going for field goals, like they're kind of playing smart here, and this this might be a line dubbed. like they're already up 21, 23 points. But it's a great. It's a great commentary on sports in general and coaching and management and trades and deciding what players to play in certain situations is everyone is always trying to win. Whatever decisions that these people make, if it's a coach or a manager or anything, everybody is doing it with that's what that person thinks is going to help their team win, right? If they convert and then they go down and score a touchdown – as a result of, of that play where they didn't uh, kick the field goal, he's a genius. Or he's ballsy. If Josh he made Reynolds the big call. The yeah, all these things. But I'm just saying specific to the strategy more so. But, you know, I, I think that's always the one thing that gets overlooked is like, you know, one team wins at the end of the season. One team wins a game. You know, one guy's the star of the game. Like, it, it, everybody can't be successful all the time, right? And that is... You know, I get it, it's all part, part of sports and everything, but I feel like that's overlooked sometimes when, like, a guy gets crapped on, either as a manager, coach, anything, that, like, that guy is not qualified to do the job. We don't want to call him any bad names here or anything, but they just, you know, they, like I say, they kind of crap on them, right? But they're, they're in that position. They're making decisions. Sometimes guys don't execute. Guy gets hurt. If you're a GM, you make trades. A guy gets hurt. It doesn't mean that that was a bad trade, necessarily because a guy gets hurt or a guy doesn't catch a ball or guy doesn't guy doesn't convert a fourth down all that kind of stuff like um i i just think it's that thing that sometimes gets forgotten that nobody is going in making these decisions with the intent for them to be wrong and especially in that situation because i think it was third and four and they like there was no hesitation to go for it on fourth and two i think right and I think uh, who was doing color commentary on that on that game? Is it Olson? It was either Olson or yeah, I think it might have been. Anyways, whoever was doing color commentary immediately said, "Well, I guess if you you know if you decided to run it on third and four, you knew you were going to go for it and run it again on fourth and two, fourth and yeah. two, right?" And I just thought it's like you know that's that's the game plan. He thought it could work. It's worked previously. It's the situation or whatever. And then for a guy to get roasted over that afterwards, I feel like is, I know it's human nature, but I feel like it's unfair. Yeah. No, I'm, 
to be honest, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the outside really thinks. Like, <laughs> no, like, it, right, I mean, fair it, enough. Yeah. I mean, if you're part of the lines and like, that's like, that's your mantra. Like you have the opportunity to, I mean, if they score or they get that first down and they score it, it's probably game over. So it's, it's really, you're it's, trying to it's win. A game of interest. He's trying, yeah, to, he's win trying to win the game, yeah. right? He's trying to win the game, and that's the thing I think that gets lost. Where the media starts saying, you know, are they gonna, you know, are they gonna start to doubt their coach, or like, is there some mistrust there? Like, but I think all if their he would have cut, maybe more so if he would have kicked the field goal there, is there mistrust there that he's gonna make the wrong decision? I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, but all their players. Are you gonna say all their players speak out all the time about how he's the greatest leader they've ever yeah, been around? No, yeah, no, and no, like go with whatever decision he has because yeah. I feel like he tells them that they're going to do that. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's yeah. have to go. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's kind of why the outside noise is just outside noise. And I mean, it's, it's crazy to see – it's crazy to see where he came from, from when he got hired in that initial press conference about biting people's kneecaps off, <laughs> right? To where he is now, where it was like he had that press conference, and I think the media thought it was all a joke. Mm-hmm. And then in three seasons, right, yep. he's got them to where they are, and now he is so respected, it seems like, as this leader and this guy that's, like you say, says this stuff, and the guys do it, they believe it, and he has legit changed the culture of that team. You talk about coaches going into situations and, Oh, we need a culture change. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of stuff. And like, there's a guy that's like the living, breathing example of it, of, you know, him going in and, and saying, we're going to do these crazy things <laughs> right, to our opponents. And, but it was just like, he just got everybody believing and it, it's, it's wild to think. And, and that's where, you know, somebody else made the comment about just coaching uh, in general and what sport, you think a coach can have the most impact on and it probably is football and the fact that coaches are literally calling every single play in the game mm-hmm. and there's so many too yeah like, but like what other coach and what other sport is literally like on this play we're gonna do this you're gonna run on this play you're gonna pass you're gonna do this guy is gonna go here this guy is gonna go like everything is like what other sport could compare in terms of that structure basketball lacrosse out of a timeout like but even then like it's, yeah it's very like you i've never really thought about that but that would be one of the very few times like mm-hmm. you're talking about and and probably a little bit in hockey right but even in some of those sports i guess with a something where you immediately start with possession coming out of a timeout for sure basketball and lacrosse because you know you've got that the ball and you can make a play potentially but in Hockey coming out of a timeout, you got to win the face-off, yeah. right? If you lose the face-off, the play, the whiteboard is gonzo. Yeah. <laughs> but like you say, but even in lacrosse, right? It's not like how often do you guys go out there with set plays? Uh, depends. Power play? Power play. Maybe the first possession on a power play, or is it like regularly on a power play? Power play, regularly. Uh, well, like you'd call out a play. Mark usually does, um, or Maddie or Rusty, and do that out of timeouts. Usually there's kind of a setup play, and then um, there's just times throughout games that sometimes Rusty will draw something up for us to do. So get out there, but yeah, like you said, it's it's 
not as obviously not as much as football where it's every play and that's it's also kind of like coach longevity too and in those situations like you always have like uh you have your coordinators obviously your od coordinator and like if the old coordinator is the ones that's calling plays and just doing a bad job you just and you're the head coach you just take over that role it's just like, it's like yeah you're not doing it yeah a lot of outs mm-hmm. a lot of outs there <clears throat> um all right well that was great that we related that back to lacrosse yeah we got back to lacrosse Full circle. we're good great we're getting good really good uh okay so mailbag we're gonna try and sort this out here i gotta i gotta i gotta repull this up here and get some light so i can uh, read this um so jero says uh i feel the mentality to the league differs compared to most as much as jer wants to see the rock raise a championship at the end of the year his primary interest is that he wants to see the league and the sport grow as a whole. Do you feel it's more beneficial to have two Titans compete for the championship, example, Buffalo and Colorado recently, to raise viewership, or two franchises that are still growing, like New York or Panther City, to try and establish a fan base in markets that may not be doing as well? that are still growing essentially. So we could kind of relate this to all sports really, right? You know, what is what is better for the sport? Is it to, you know, is it a New York Los Angeles final in in baseball or football or anything like that or is it more important that some of these other franchises, you know, get on the map in terms of getting all those eyeballs on them? I think at the end of the day it all kind of falls down into like just time. You know, like you relate to hockey. The Leafs were on an absolute tear there back in the day, and now they obviously are not. Um, but then you look at other other teams that have kind of been on the come up. It just it takes time. Whether it's like the two Titans, yeah, they might be the two Titans right now, but you know, five years from now, it won't be them. You know, it, it's just just I- everyone's kind of main. To jump into this from an NLL perspective, though, and the fact Colorado jumps out, I feel like what the Mammoth have done in Colorado over, I guess, about 20 years now, right? They, they box across in the city, all that kind of stuff. The Collegiate Box League that I feel like started in Colorado and some of the NCAA players that, that ended up getting involved in that and have moved on you know, to the NLL and whatnot. I, I feel like Colorado is kind of an example of that market that, maybe wasn't necessarily a box lacrosse market and through the success of the mammoth kind of started to grow like that. And now you, you look at maybe a Panther city, like a, you know, Texas where I think you've got that growing bit of lacrosse there, you know, a successful NLL team could have a very, very big impact on the future of the sport there. So I think this is kind of a, you know, a really interesting topic actually to dive into because even like New York, you think Long Island, where that team is, is a notorious field lacrosse community. One guy that plays for this team is kind of like one of the guys there all time from that area being Mr. Schreiber. But box lacrosse, right? So, you know, had the New York Saints been a powerhouse back in the day, would 
would that be, you know, would that franchise have never left, you know, like, would they have had that success because there was that, you know, a bit of that lacrosse community that already existed. When I say a bit, I'm probably doing a disservice to the Long Island lacrosse community, but, um, you know, I, I think kind of what Jeremy's saying, even though he's just asking as a question, is kind of like a pretty obvious fact at the same time that, you know, with these, you know, these other franchises in the league, like it would truthfully, like we've kind of got proof of concept, even like with the Colorado situation that it truly has grown the sport in that, uh, you know, them having success. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, you know, I feel like the longer the teams are there, the the better grassroots kind of programming and, and things like that um, you can do in that area, whether it's kind of just growing the game of box across, getting eyes on it. And, and just, you know, it kind of goes back to the time thing. Like I remember watching the Vancouver Ravens when they were a team back in the day. And uh, my mom was doing 50-50 and I was just sitting watching warm-ups. And, and, you know, one day go to a few games and then, you know, that was like my goal. That's the only thing I've wanted to do in my life was just to like play at Rogers arena back then or GM place now or was GM place. Then. Yeah. But um, yeah, like it just kind of takes time. Like those kids that watch it obviously have to grow up and kind of go through their own journey and path and, and hopefully just like you said, have get eyes on it and, and grow it from there. And I probably forgot the best example, actually, of <laughs> lacrosse growth that's kind of right under our nose is the birth of the Toronto Rock and the height of minor lacrosse registration in Ontario. And somebody can definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but the biggest, maybe it was the biggest percentage growth, maybe not the largest numbers total, but was in that end of 99 into 2000, the early 2000s when The Rock first came on the scene that even though Ontario was, you know, is essentially, along with BC, the home of, <laughs> the home of box lacrosse, um, it, it took The Rock coming into existence, I think, to still elevate things to, to kind of where we are now in Ontario. And I think uh, that, you know, big pat on the back to the uh, originators, the originals, of the Rock franchise, um, dating back to even the Ontario Raiders, obviously in 1998, but then the Toronto Rock 99 forward has had uh, that huge impact on lacrosse here in Ontario as well. It has. True say. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, do we want to dive into one more from... Uh... Jero? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. This is kind of along the same lines. We thank Jeremy O., for this great uh, couple of podcast things. We may throw a little extra. Maybe, maybe we'll throw a little extra into your uh, prize pack from uh, what's going out here this week. The ultimate goal of any league is profit. Running as a business. Expansion yields more profit, higher revenues. Do you feel that there is enough undiscovered young talent to fill any additional franchises assuming the league would be in a position to expand. What do you feel is the best way to get the game into the hands of the youth of today in order to be able to expand the pool of players in the future? And this is another actually a great point from Jeremy. Sincerely, a fan that discovered this sport too late in life, I now wish I grew up with a lacrosse stick in my hands. 
feel like there's a lot of different answers to this. There's a couple um, questions in there. Yeah, for sure. Expansion, you know, let's just start with that part about, you know, right now, do you think there is enough players to expand? Enough high quality players to expand? And if the answer is yes, by how many teams? <laughs> if the answer is no, the answer is zero. Oh, thank you, math mm-hmm. guy. Math guy hammer. I'm helping. I'm learning from you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Um, wow. I'd really like to hear your answer first on this one. I'm going to go a little reverso here. Okay. Because myself and Shay Getzinger, our digital media coordinator here. Still hasn't listened to Still it. hasn't listened <laughs> Uh, we actually did, and I don't know if I actually mentioned this in the last couple of podcasts, but we did like a reverso expansion draft. So we took all the franchises that have come into the league post nine teams. So the league was at nine teams for a while. So we're at 15 now. So we took all the players, the top two players from every one of the six teams that has come into the league since uh was it 2017 or 2018 the first year of uh true current expansion we'll call it and we ran down the players and they're all like these elite guys and to think that the current nine or the original we'll call them now nine teams would all be adding like this league if it was still nine teams would be insane and i think when this league first started growing from nine to uh, 11 and, and so on to get to 15. I think originally when expansion came around, I think there was a little bit of the feeling of, you know, is there going to be enough quality talent to, to fill these teams? And we're now learning. Uh, yeah, there definitely is the biggest question. I think at the time likely surrounding goaltending, because that I think is the toughest position to fill is to have, You know, at one point when you had only nine teams, you had these nine quality starters and you probably had four or five teams, maybe, maybe three or four might be more accurate that had backups that could have started, but just didn't. They were one B, right? You can only have one goalie in math guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that, that was probably maybe the biggest question was, was, is there enough goaltending to, to fill the rosters? But you know, right now I say at 15, the league is thriving. I think the the play on the floor is unbelievable. It would be scary to see a nine-team league with everybody playing. Like, you think about, <laughs> you know, you think about transitioning the top players onto t- like the depth on the rosters would be insane. Like, if you thought of all the nine existing teams who are dressing 17 runners every game, just knock off like the bottom four guys on every roster and replace them with the top four or top three guys from other teams. Maybe the math doesn't work on that one, but, but I think you get the gist of what I'm saying there. Like this would be insane. It would be insane. Insane. (laughs) Yeah, no, it would be. Um, yeah, nine, like take nine the same like the, like the San Diego Seals for example, right? They were a team that came in. So you take, let's just pick two guys as two elite players. I'm not saying these are the two best players on San Diego necessarily, 
But say you took Austin Stotts and Curtis Dixon. And now they're just getting dumped onto one of the other, the, the quote-unquote original nine teams. And you start going down the list on, on the other teams that came in, like, you know, Rochester, you take Ryan Smith and Ryland Rees. And they're just, here you go, Toronto. <laughs> right? Like, you, you go down the list and it's scary. Like, think even the San Diego example, you know, Rubish, Doby, like, just, you know, like, here you go, Buffalo. <laughs> Here's Rubish and Doby. Like, the depth would be nuts. Nuts. So that's where I'm at on that. If yeah. there is, I think, I think there is room to expand. I think the league in... You know, now looking back at how many teams the league grew by over time, I think it actually worked perfect. And I think the league might be poised. The goal was always to get to 16 teams. I think the league could grow by one more right now quite safely. I mm. really do. Yeah. By one right now. I, I don't – I if you, if you went two again, I think it might, might be too soon. But I, I think one – would work right now yeah i just don't want anyone to leave so i know that has been the part that has has stunk about this in the past because we've lost you know really good players offensive guys through the expansion draft so real good people too you got it spoken like a true leader over there the captain of the toronto rock (laughs) and big math guy so then what do you think is the best way to get the game into the hands of youth today in order to be able to expand the pool of players in the future. Just getting eyes on the sport, whether that's like kind of doing school programs, getting getting in there, kind of introducing the sport to, to kids that have, one, have never seen it. And then, you know, like I remember being in elementary school and there being sticks like in the gym closet or whatever and kids being like, what what are those? And obviously I, I knew what it was, so I was – Riffing around me like, oh, that's a lacrosse stick, like, because I'd bring mine to school all the time. But um, it's definitely getting into schools because there's a lot of people that just obviously have never seen the sport before, and especially kids when they're just having fun and, and enjoying it. And like that's obviously our goal with the school programs is just having these kids in, be introduced to the sport and enjoy their time doing it. And there's a lot of kids that like pick it up so quickly and. and I feel like they truly have a passion for it. It's just you leave that school and you hope that, you know, they went home and were like, oh, I love this new sport. Can I go get a stick or can I try it or something like that? And hopefully they kind of stay with it and it's not just a one-time thing. But I feel like it's just, yeah, getting eyes on get, – cut, get eyes on the sport and um, just have it – be an introduction to the people that have never seen it. It is the, the sticks and hands. And like you say, like, you know, wall ball, like it's so simple. I think for kids to really work on their stick skills, you don't need a, a partner necessarily or someone else or to play in a game to get a good handle on a lot of the fundamentals of the game, right? Yeah. Just passing, catching, you teach like, yourself too. It, like, yeah, I was teaching my. Grew up as an only child, 
and had a lot of free time with <laughs> with myself and I loved lacrosse and there's a middle school like right behind our house and just had this giant cement like barricade wall almost like just massive so I was there every day and then you know I walk another 100 meters and there's a lacrosse box outside which isn't really the situation out here is what I thought it would be but back home there's lacrosse boxes everywhere and just yeah you just kind of mess around and figure it out and it it also goes back to like we're talking about the grassroots stuff and and the NLL is you know about to you know embark we've seen a small piece of it we can talk a little bit about Montreal here too but the unbox series and and how that is going to play out in terms of you know, getting sticks in hands and school programs and whatnot and, and how that gets rolled out here. You know, this isn't a, a short-term project. This is a long-term plan that the NLL has in place with regards to this. But, you know, just that fact, like you're talking about mentioning the uh, the sticks in schools, right, and, and that you saw them in your gym class or whatever. And, and I can remember growing up, and there were no lacrosse sticks around in Georgetown, which – you know, where I grew up and I am 15 minutes from Brampton, you know, 20 minutes from Brampton. And this is, you know, a lacrosse hotbed at the time. And, you know, somebody my age in, in Georgetown, I don't think there is a soul of people that, you know, that I went to school with that had picked up a lacrosse stick that are the same age as me. Not a soul. We didn't have minor lacrosse in Georgetown. Everybody played hockey. And if you weren't playing in an arena you were playing road hockey <laughs> or at school you were playing floor hockey like it was just that was it right you played a little softball maybe some soccer on recess or whatever but there was never i never in my life saw a kid in georgetown with a lacrosse stick at a school when i was growing up never never once and it's crazy to think that now because now you know in my hometown i drive around i see kids walking around with lacrosse sticks all the time. I see kids over at the fields at Christ the King High School out shooting on the net, you know, kids playing at school. Like, you see it all around now, and it's, you know, it was, there was, it was nowhere. And it's only 20 minutes away, and, and it's like all those kids in Brampton, they played hockey in the winter, and they played lacrosse in the summer. And it's just, and now that's, changed in Halton Hills like there's obviously other competing sports but lacrosse is part of the landscape there and and it's getting those minor lacrosse associations going the grassroots obviously is is just it's the thing right and and Jer makes a great point here of you know sincerely somebody that discovered this sport too late in life and I wish and I like I feel the same way a lot of times where it's like I wish there was lacrosse in Georgetown growing up so I could have had a chance to play and whatnot and and, or even if I just knew somebody that was playing in Brampton and, and, you know, whatever, like, because that did start to happen. I feel like a few years later, a lot more Georgetown kids started going to Brampton to, to play lacrosse. Uh, my cousin included the guy who got me involved in this sport way back when anyways. Um, but it, it, it is wild to think how many of these pockets, even here in Ontario, just didn't have lacrosse 20 years ago, 25 years ago in their community, how young, some of these associations are and it kind of speaks to i think just how young still even though lacrosse has this great history in certain communities it is so so young in some other places when you think 
you know, I think Halton Hills minor lacrosse, it's now developing guys that are going to play pro and, and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, essentially minor lacrosse kind of started in Georgetown in like 1995. Now there was a previous history to it back in, back in the day in the fifties and the sixties and stuff. It's been played, you know, here and there, but there's huge gaps. And I'm sure this exists in all kinds of communities in Ontario and across Canada probably too, is that there's these big gaps where lacrosse was a thing. It wasn't a thing for like a generation and then it comes back and whatever. So I don't know if you can speak to that at all at West and BC and, and how it was, because it seems like a lot of those communities are almost like landlocked to each other where it's just kind of everywhere. But, um, certainly here in Ontario, I think there's just over time, there's been big communities that just have never had it. Yeah. And speaking out from out West, like when I was growing up, I feel like my biggest, like driving by field and seeing a field lacrosse net, I was just like, Oh, they play lacrosse here. Like that's sweet. That was a big thing for me growing up. Cause it's like, there's obviously places where I'm like, they don't have anything here. They must not play. Um, where was I going to go? Uh, sorry, I was I was <laughs> dialed in and thinking about a great thing I was going to tell you, and then I just it's out the window now. It's going to come back. I, I just think it's it's been great to see how this sport has grown. You know, even in in my time around the game since you know 1995 uh, was where I first really got introduced to it, but. Um, it's crazy how much things have changed, how much they've grown. Like you just look around like where we're sitting. I mean, we talk about it all the time and, you know, maybe we're, you know, tooting our own horn here, so to speak, about the Toronto Rock Athletic Center and, and everything that this building has meant to the sport in Ontario. But it, it's it's a fact. Like we've talked about it before. Like if this place didn't exist, where would lacrosse be in Ontario in, in so many respects? Like you look at the events that have been here and all this kind of stuff and now – the Rock Elite League and Rockstars, everything has grown. It's just like without this building, like I don't even know where so much of this stuff would be. I don't know where I would be personally, right? Like, you know, uh, it, it's just all of us, right? Like it's it's crazy how this building has changed, like legit. And please don't roll your eyes <laughs> listening to this, but how this place has changed lives, like impacted like people's personal course of life it's it's insane for sure i couldn't agree more with everything you said it's come back to you it's come back okay, to me. so ahead. maybe you can just chop this and put it in insert insert okay. yeah um no thinking back to like uh hotbeds i guess i was fortunate obviously growing up in coquillam it's a hotbed for lacrosse out west um like growing up you know playing poor coquillam down the road from coquillam um or like a Port Moody teams that uh, had less of a catchment, but um, you know, still kind of produce some NLL players. And when when I was growing up, when we play Poco, it'd be like it's gonna be a it's gonna be a slaughter <laughs> fest. We're gonna win by a hundred, and not a hundred. You know, yeah. obviously being exaggerated. A wide margin, bad math. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got close sometimes. <laughs> um, but no, like it, it was. Poco was usually not the laughing stock, but they were developing, um, as you know, as a city and as a you know lacrosse program. Um, now I kind of look at them and and they flourish. They have kind of a new rec center, which was massive. Um, and then you look at like a Maple Ridge. They were they had a team. They 
sparsely had teams. Like they may have a team my minor year, um, but not my major year. Um, and now you look at it, and Maple Ridge lacrosse is just absolutely flourishing, and probably give a lot of that to you know guys going back and and um, you know trying to grow the game and and people moving from those hotbeds like Coquillum or New West or um, you know other other places like that and moving more inland uh, to places like kind of Maple Ridge and and growing it there. I know Mouse does a lot of stuff. Kurt Milosky, uh does a lot of stuff in Maple Ridge and. And on top of that, when I was growing up, there's no travel programs or any kind of like things like Rock Elite League or, or Rockstars or anything like that out west. And now there's there's a plethora of them. There's a ton of different kind of options that you can take and, and different programs you can play in and develop. So it's, it's really kind of obviously the minor programs and everything that they do and the people that give back to those organizations, but it, it also with the private as well like it's look at all the other sports every other sports has this private uh, factor to it that you know their goals obviously should be like ours is develop their kids and um yeah you know it's it's growing it is and i and when you talk about some of the private programs and the level of coaching as well that's what i kind of wanted to say like when you were mentioning and this is what got me thinking about it was just when you say the guys go on and give back, right? Like it, I, again, to relate this back to the, you know, what I know best personally, Halton Hills, you know, it was the guys from Brampton, like you say, that had relocated to Georgetown and then they kind of got involved and, and started building that program, the Veltmans, the Lions, like that, that crew, the Haynes, like Kevin Dance, all those guys that, kind of came from Brampton and, you know, we're in Georgetown now and started growing, you know, everything at that level. And, and that's kind of where I wanted to go with this is like, you know, you go to get a minor association started, say you don't have that situation where the guys relocate. It's that quality coaching. Right. And I still think that's something probably that holds back, you know, some minor lacrosse associations. You can, you can take so many courses, you can learn, you can watch video and stuff like that. But, you know, I think, as has been proven over time, guys who have played the game usually end up making better coaches, right? Versus somebody that didn't. I'm not saying that's a hundred percent, you know, the case across the board, but usually that does make a better coach. But what is the responsibility, I guess, on, you know, not necessarily you specifically, but a person like you, to go back and, and get involved in these associations or even just to go and say, hey, I want to go run a coaching clinic here for these house league coaches or whatever, just the, these dads or moms that are helping out to just get on the bench and open the door for the kids on Saturday mornings and whatever, to still be able to teach and whatnot. Like, how do we still fill, fill that gap a little bit, just like getting more quality coaching? Yeah, I feel like, like you said, it's it's a lot of people that are, especially in those kind of up-and-coming programs or organizations that, um, you know, don't have a huge cashman, don't have a lot of kids coming. And, and you know, you have these parents, moms, dads going out and coaching and, and their heart's in the the best place possible. The only place you want it to be is, is for them. You know, they probably don't have a coach. This person's taking time out of their lives to – try to learn this game and try to develop these kids. And um, 
you know, I think it is, like you said, kind of coaching clinics and, and, um, you know, it's, that's probably where you start because it's, it's, you can read and, and watch and, you know, now with social media and YouTube and things like that, you can learn a lot from it. Granted, some of it's just like, you know, maybe <laughs> your peer, um, kind of like saying things that aren't, aren't even close to what they yeah. should be, but um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good resources out there that, um, you can learn from, but yeah, I, th- I think it's almost like grassroots of coaching is, is you have to go and do these clinics and, and help these people, um, you know, with maybe the finer details. I think practice and preparation are so important. And if you're a minor lacrosse coach in your community, and you're looking for help, I think one place to go, if you have a junior team or a senior team in your community, find out when they practice and just go watch. Because chances are they've got pretty good coaches in place, experienced or whatever, and you know, try to go somewhere maybe where an NLL coach is coaching a summer team or whatever and, and just head up to the rink on a Wednesday night and watch the practice, see what they do, get ideas for drills and like – how stuff's communicated and see how so many coaches like I love it when our coaches sit here like Maddie, Brucey, Rusty, they'll sit here and, and I just kind of like overhear what they're talking about and stuff. But when they're trying to plan and say, OK, we need to work on this specific aspect of the game and they kind of make up a drill almost on the fly where they're like, hey, why don't we do this, this and this? Because then we're going to we're going to tell them, like, here's how this is going to apply in that game situation. Right. And like this is at the highest level we're talking about, but I'm sure there's some of that going on at junior ranks and, and sorry, junior practices at local ranks and whatnot. But I think it's just a matter of like, go out and, you know, like you say, there's YouTube and all this kind of stuff, but go out and watch some practices and, and just see, like watch how the guys interact with the drills and how the coaches coach. And especially the, you know, the higher level coaches that are out there in, in these ranks in the summer. I that's, for me anyways, I feel like probably a little bit of an under the radar tip because I'll say I'm surprised that, you know, a lot of people know we practice here on Tuesday nights and whatnot, but I'm surprised there aren't more coaches, just minor coaches just show up here and just watch. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised. Like, Yeah. I mean, like even speaking from my own experiences with like individuals and stuff is I obviously get to see some of these kids play uh, weekly and then I get to work with them kind of one-on-one afterwards. So there's like half my sessions with these kids besides, you know, if I have, you know, you need to work on this. I know you need to work on this. When I'm watching them play, I'm watching things that they're doing in game and things that they're not very good at and they need to get better at within that game. So it's like, oh, this guy really has trouble getting over the top off getting over the top and shooting, right? So it's like, oh, what kind of drill can I make right here that gets him prepared to catch the ball, attack right away, and get over the top and get a good shot? So it's like, okay, I put him in this position. He's going to receive the ball here, and he's going to attack. A lot of, like, half the time, the drills or anything I'm kind of doing is exactly like you said, just watching, watching games and being like, oh, this transition play worked great. I don't know if they meant to do it, but... You know, if you put this into a drill situation, you put – I must have buried a, a crossbar or something. Um, but, yeah, like, you, you know, you watch you watch games and, you know, transition for, say, uh, you know, let's put someone here. They have to run here. And, 
and you know you just kind of put it into a drill i mean it's easy for me to kind of sit here and say it because i've done it for a long time and coaching and whatnot and it's something i have a massive passion for um but yeah it's, it's really just watching and, and trying to learn as much as possible that was also a bit of an advertisement for one-on-one sessions with Challen Rogers. Visit trackathletics.com to find out more. <laughs> yeah. Are you all booked up right now, Challen? Yeah, I'm pretty booked. You're pretty booked up. Yeah, it's I just know. floor time, you know? Yeah. It's tough. It's, tough when, the, it's tough when the Toronto Rock Athletic Center is buzzing. It, It is. It is. And it's great. And it's January going into February here. Non-traditional across time but like you say buzzing and it goes back to in so many respects this building true that this building yep this building it's the place as we see behind us <laughs> some one-on-ones going on somebody being target practice right now <laughs> all right child well i think uh we've turned this into a great podcast today i gotta say we dove into some issue uh great stuff not issues i guess great topics and we have to give a big tip of the cap here to jeremy o who yeah. fueled a lot of that discussion so again folks prizes will be back on the line again next week total access at torontorock.com send in your questions uh for a chance to grab a rock prize pack and actually, we got to talk about that after the after we're done here because I got a really kind of cool idea that I want to add into the prize pack. But you're kind of the you're kind of the main person on that. Love it. Yeah. Uh, well, quickly, let's talk about this weekend's game. Yep. Toronto Rock at the Calgary Roughnecks. First half of a home and home. Obviously, you don't play too many t- teams twice anymore at all. And now you you get a chance to play the same team two weeks in a row. Kind of crazy. Very, especially Western teams back-to-back. Yeah. Double whammy. Big showdown, Nick Rose versus Christian Del Bianco. Mm-hmm. They, Two uh, top goaltenders in the league last year. Yep. I feel like we are we have similar aspects to both our games. They love, um, you know, Delves loves pushing the ball with, uh, you know, Zach and, and Shane Simpson. And they have guys that can push the floor and push the floor super fast. So, um and we obviously like to do the same thing. So we, we have some um, similarities for sure, um, some differences obviously for sure. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be an exciting game. And, and um, you know, they, they play on Friday night. I mean, that doesn't weigh into how we play, but, um, you know, it's, it's certainly kind of in the game plan that we're going to want to make their life hard in that. And the coaching matchup is intriguing here because you kind of have Orangeville against Orangeville. Who will come out on top? <laughs> Orangeville. Orangeville. <laughs> so you've got Matt Sawyer, Bruce Codd, Rusty Kruger, all from Orangeville, all grew up playing for the Northmen, all the way through all that kind of stuff. I've coached all of one mental cups on the bench in some form or another. And then you've got on the other bench now in Calgary, also strong Toronto Rock ties. Surprise, surprise. Well, everybody will say, right? Orangeville, Toronto Rock. What? Okay, so you got Josh Sanderson now as the head coach. Of course, former player with the Rock, former assistant GM with the Rock. You've got Phil Sanderson on the bench there. Again, Orangeville connection, former Toronto Rock, a champion here with the Toronto Rock. And then you've got Troy Cordingly, the head coach 
of the last Toronto Rock championship team back in 2011. He's on the bench there in Calgary too, and he is transplanted to Orangeville now. So you got Orangeville versus Orangeville all over the all over both benches. So it's going to be a great matchup, a great coaching matchup too. It's uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun these next couple of games, and I think you know these back to backs too. Like you love the the emotion that I think comes in these games. Like game two usually is more emotional let's say right you're kind of sick of that guy he did that to you last week you don't want him to do it to you again kind of thing right yep get a little annoyed yes you do (laughs) (laughs) so we're looking forward to these two games in a row and uh this saturday night of course it is the nll game of the week on tsn i saw that some nice graphics being put out by our graphic designer andrew armstrong i did like that promoting the game uh the Del Bianco versus Rosie matchup. And then also the Montreal graphic with Rosie going for a walk in the snow. Did you see that one? I did see that one. Yeah. The streets of Laval. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, why is Rosie at the, oh, Photoshop. Right. <laughs> he didn't go to Laval, <laughs> his equipment, and walk down a snowy street with not a stop sign, but an aret sign. Uh, did we catch that? I didn't. Yeah. See, that's a, there's a lot of little subtle things in there. Made it a true Laval graphic. Real genuine. Um, (laughs) And uh, the lights are off over there in the room. We should note, once again, I think this is the final time we're extending the offer. No? Yeah. This is it. This will be three strikes and you're out. Yep. I so, and we've given them plenty of warning too. There like, was some big hints here before we started recording about you were asking. So, again, Shay Getzinger, the moment that he mentions to us that he has heard that we were offering him up a little guest spot, a little interview at the end of one of these podcasts coming up here at some point in the near future that once he comes and says, Hey, I heard this on the podcast, then he's going to be on the show. So, uh, he's yet to do that. And child did everything he could to actually tell him, I think before we started recording. Yeah. I I tried my best to let him know to fully listen all the way through. Yes. And now we're getting anxious to have him on the show. Yeah. Basically, yeah. We want to get some Shay on here. So this is your last chance, buddy. (laughs) Third strike and ring you up. Uh, Laval coming up. Press conference next week. Yep. Big one. There's some people. Is it it a big one? Yes, because I think so. I sent out a media advisory today that the league had also sent out and um, I don't know if everybody remembers local radio host Mad Dog. As Mad in, Dog Russo? Nope. No, Jay that's serious. Mad Dog. <laughs> Jay Mad Dog Michaels. So he, uh, local radio host for a long time in Toronto, several radio stations. He's now doing mornings in Montreal. And he actually sent me an email today saying he's going to promote the heck out of this game. Love it on the radio there. So we're hoping for a, a jam packed building in, in Laval on uh, February the 16th. It's coming up fast, like real fast. So you can get your tickets uh, online there. We'll uh, have a link up on social media and whatnot to, to go and grab your tickets. It's going to be a lot of fun. Some of the game's best players, Jeff T New York riptide against a whole bunch of really good guys on the Toronto rock. It should be fun. Great road trip, family day weekend. A lot of the school boards have Friday off anyways. It's, 
Come on in, says Chow. Yeah, it's shaping up to be a really good good event, good crowd. Hopefully our listeners in Quebec um, tell all their friends and family. Come on out. Yeah, and, you know, we're hoping to that the Toronto Rock will be in the midst of uh, a brand new winning streak. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Why not? It's Rick on one. More wins in the bank. Closer to the playoffs. <laughs> All right, Chell. Uh, we also got country night coming up. Yeah. That's the gonna, back we... half of the home and home. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, should we go through the rest of our schedule? Well, no. These, <laughs> we're just going to talk about the next couple of games coming up. So people can still get the country night pack, Chell. Two Ooh. Rock City Cowboy hats and two tickets starting at just 100 bucks. Still available. Steel. Yes. We have a few steals for our promo nights. We have some awesome stuff that we're going to be rolling out shortly. Like, I think people that are two specialty jerseys that are still coming up. Our Indigenous Heritage Night jersey, we have completed also the helmet wrap, which is going to be a bit different this year. It looks unbelievable. It is going to be different. Uh, It's going to be similar and different at the same time. It's really cool. And uh, Marvel Night coming up on March the 23rd. Those jerseys are real cool, too. And we've got some other cool stuff on the go with the helmets, too, that are going to, once we roll all this stuff out, people are going to love it. And both Marvel Night jerseys and Indigenous Heritage Night jerseys, the game-worn jerseys, will be auctioned off again. So all those details will be coming in the next couple of weeks the indigenous heritage night uh, is coming up on february the 24th as we do basically here run through the rest of the schedule but uh it is coming up february 21st so it's kind of the next uh, big one after country night and those jerseys will be auctioned off that auction will start uh, on the tuesday before the game raising money for the danny wenjack fund again and then smiles home foundation for the uh for the march marvel night so the, that auction, again, will start a, a few days before that game as well on March 23rd. So get your tickets now, torontorock.com, ticketmaster.ca, however you like to get them, just get them. And uh, we've got lots of other theme night stuff to talk about. But if you're still listening at this point in the podcast, kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. But check out the theme night schedule if you haven't done so well, already. They just, they just heard it. They heard a good chunk of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'll give another rundown in like a month about the other remainders. Yeah. Well, there's, there aren't many home games after that, let's be honest. Yeah, That's true. Fan we appreciation what, night. Four yeah. left, five left. <laughs> yeah, suddenly we're right. We're just buzzing through them here now. But Country Night's going to be great. Chase McDaniel performing at halftime. You're going to see him doing some media. And actually next Thursday, yeah. we should mention this, he's going to be coming here to the track. You guys are going to be doing a little uh, lacrosse tutorial. Rosie's going to put the pads on midweek here, which is huge. Uh, and Child's going to rip some shots at Rosie along with Chase McDaniel and teach him how to play a little lacrosse. Love it. Earlier that day. <laughs> hey, this is going to work out wonderfully. I'm leaving. No. <laughs> yes, because the previous CHCH segments – You've opted out of. <laughs> I haven't opted out. People have just gotten there before. And this will be great because on Thursday morning, February the 8th, Chase McDaniel is going to be in studio, and we're going to break this right here along with Rock Captain Challen Rogers. Where? CHCH? <laughs> Thursday, February the 8th with 
with Chase, who you thought was you. Yeah. When you were scrolling through the uh, yeah. Instagram feed there when you saw a guy with the rock hat and the captain's jersey on, you said, hey, that's me. See, that's why I didn't need to do the ones earlier, you know, because I knew I'd just get the <laughs> You and Chase were destined to yeah. meet up. Yep. Knew it. All right. Uh, so there, uh, he's going to be doing a plethora of other media appearances while he's here as well, promoting the game. So that was my word. Should be a great plethora or plethora? Plethora. Plethora of games. Uh, sorry, media appearances <laughs> promoting the game on February the 10th. All right, Chal, I think we're out of gas here. So uh, I think we're going to wrap this up. Good luck this weekend in Calgary. Thank you. Going west to hopefully get the first of two games consecutively. Odd, though, Calgary's got two home games here this weekend. They play Friday night against New York. Advantage or disadvantage to the Rock? No, no, you don't know, right? Because everybody goes in thinking they should be tired. They should be tired, right? Early, early it's nice, though, like, because you kind of, your legs kind of feel good on a back-to-back. Like, I find personally, like, you're, I don't know. Your body still just loose. warms up still quicker. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel pretty. The second game on a back to back, I I usually feel pretty good, body wise. Depends obviously how the night went or before, um, but usually the legs on a tired s- scale, they're usually pretty good. Because that's why I think the uh, negative effect of a back to back is often overrated. Yeah. Yeah. Over-talked about, over-discussed. Yeah. Weird why we're talking about All right, so that's all coming up. First game of the back-to-back will be Saturday night, the TSN game of the week. Uh, Toronto Rock, Calgary Roughnecks. Those two games always seem to be quite a battle, too. Yeah. They do, yeah. All right, Charles almost got the headphones <laughs> off. All right, that will wrap things up. In the meantime, and in between time, for the co-host, Challen Rogers, I'm Mike Hancock saying... That's it. That's all. Another edition of Toronto Rock Total Access is over and done with, and we will chat next week.